From Sarasota Memorial, this is HealthCast. A healthy dose of information from experts you can trust. Hi, everybody. Welcome to HealthCast. I'm Heidi Godman. In this episode, we're going to be talking about advances in lung cancer treatment. In particular, we're going to find out how Sarasota Memorial Hospital takes a team approach to treatment. And we'll hear about new technology and surgeries to successfully treat cancer. Our guests are Dr. Paul Chomiak, a thoracic surgeon, and Dr. Joseph Seaman, an interventional pulmonologist. Both are leading Sarasota Memorial's lung cancer team. Welcome to the program. Thank Thank you. you. So when you hear those words, you have lung cancer, that just triggers a very long road for the patient. And the patient might feel a little bit alone or overwhelmed, but that person is not alone because, in fact, you have a team approach that you take. Can you tell us about Mm -hmm. it? Yeah, so uh, at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, we have a multidisciplinary cancer care conference that we meet once a week, and it includes uh, pulmonary medicine docs, thoracic surgeons, general surgeons, medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, radiologists, pathologists, as well as other professionals, nursing, um, uh, respiratory therapists, that come together um, to really discuss cases in a a multidimensional format. Um, So we don't just look at the cancer, we don't look just at the uh, stage of the cancer, we look at the patient as a whole to determine what's the best treatment for this individual. Are they a surgical candidate? Are they not a surgical candidate? If they're not a surgical candidate, which platform and intervention would be the best for this person to have the best patient-centered outcomes? How is it that you're coming to a consensus? And uh, you and I talked before we went on, and you were saying that you really need an army of people to do this. You can't do it alone. You do. Um, One of the problems we have in our country is by the time a patient is identified with a spot to the first point of intervention, on average, it's 90 days, three months. And every now and then, as I see patients coming in from abroad or or they come down as snowbirds, there's that timetable. Best practices, we should be able to bring that down to less than two weeks. So we're, we're attempting to do that virtually. We have in place lung cancer navigators who are sort of our go-to, I call them the linebackers, being able to work with everybody and try to facilitate exchange of information and process. Eventually, when we have a multidisciplinary clinic here on site, we'll be able to manage somebody with a spot and be seen by seven, eight specialists right away and have a treatment plan issued immediately and a list of here is what you need to do. But you're already meeting right now, right? It's it's every Tuesday? Yeah, it's every Tuesday. Um, and, you know, uh, providers will send a list in of patients that they would like to discuss, and, and they take the lead in discussing that patient's care and, and what's going on and what are the questions, and then they get feedback from all of the providers that are there in the room with us. So many ways to tackle lung cancer, but I think a lot of people just assume, well, you have to have the lung come out, but that's not necessarily true, right? Who's a candidate for lung surgery? Well, you look at all comers who, patients who present with lung cancer, about 25% of those patients are going to be what we consider early stage, stage one, stage two. Historically, for 50 plus years, the best long-term survival was an operation. Now, does that operation mean an entire anatomical region, such as a lobe has to be removed? Is it a small portion of the lung, a segmental resection, we call a, a wedge resection? Or if the patient may not be a candidate for surgery, could we use high dose radiation therapy? There are a lot of options, so we have to we have to look at those patients. And one of the things I do in collaboration with my um, 
pulmonologist and my cardiologist is to stratify the patient. Does the patient have adequate lung performance? You have to remember, most of these patients have all smoked or are active smokers. All of them will have some form of emphysema, in my opinion. What can I project to be their quality of life if I have to remove one half of their lung or one third of their lung? When we look at lung cancer, we're dealing with a population on average around 70 years of age in this country. We can't just go in and take things out of people and then they're condemned to an oxygen tank and their biggest activity is getting up to go to the commode. So I have to balance curative intent with quality of life when all is said and done. And that's where we work as a team to try to determine, is this patient strong enough physically from a pulmonary perspective, from a cardiac perspective, to tolerate an operation? All right. And so then how do you figure out how to remove the part of the lung that might be most appropriate? I mean, I I think everyone's assuming you make those big incisions that we all know from years ago. Is that still something you do, traditional open surgery? Or what about minimally invasive surgery? In training many, many years ago, I was quoted a um, statement from Harvard where a thoracic surgeon was only as good as the size of his thoracotomy. And so, yes, the stem to stern incisions were prevalent. They were standard of care. In our country today, if someone has early stage lung cancer, seven out of 10 times, they'll be offered minimal invasive or robotic approaches. At our program, we're at 97% that we offer robotic technology for cancer therapy. The selection of removing a part of the lung, such as a lobectomy or a smaller part, depends on the size, the location, as well as the reserve of the patient. So the value of doing this through a robotic approach, I can give you an example in my hands, the patients are only with us two and a half days after surgery, and they go home. And when they go home, within about a week, six out of ten of those patients are no longer taking narcotic medications, and they're able to start adjusting back to their baseline quality of life. So it is a game changer. It's a little more technically challenging for the surgeon. We probably spend a little bit more time in the operating room. People can argue the costs of the technology, but the patients get to return back to their quality of life much faster with less complications, and they have the same cancer operation that they would as compared to historic standards when the chests were opened wide. And it's not just that the incisions are small. It's also that the technology has advanced so much. And there are two very exciting developments. Uh, The robotic surgery also in combination with the Monarch robotic bronchoscope, which Dr. Seaman is something that you Mm. use in in, uh, diagnosing cancer. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the the Monarch robotic uh, bronchoscope platform Uh, is a unique platform where uh, a small bronchoscope is introduced through two different arms uh, into the patient through their their airway uh, and we're able to drive it with a controller that is an Xbox controller uh, and we're able to drive that visually down in the lungs with the aid of navigation technology to get to areas of the lungs that we have not previously been able to access Uh, and once we're there we're able to lock the bronchoscope in place we have full control of it once it's parked, if you will, uh, we're able to stick our uh, biopsy instruments in and, and you know, biopsy lesions that in many cases we're looking at, uh, which is a, a novel thing because previously 
we didn't have that technology and that vision into the periphery of the lung. I couldn't necessarily detect the cancer as early as right. you can yeah, now. Yeah, the, the detection rates for bronchoscopes we're not optimal. So now, how do you combine, Dr. Chomiak, the, the Monarch robotic bronchoscope with the Da Vinci robot? Because that, that seems like a natural marriage, but how do you do it? Well, it's, it's, I think it's quite a novel approach. And recently, um, our program published our experience, and it'll, it'll be published in a uh, national uh, journal uh, later on this month. But in certain situations where we may have a patient with a very minute nodule, let's say less than six millimeters in size, where we might not be able to diagnose that if we're concerned. You know, the, the patient's nodule grew from three to six millimeters. We may not be able to diagnose that with a needle biopsy or even with the Monarch platform trying to biopsy something that small. Secondly, if we have a patient that has what we call a ground glass opacification, historically this was thought to be an inflammation. We now know that as patients undergo these CT screening studies, six out of 10 times, we're gonna find a ground glass opacification. And over the course of time, if that gets slightly bigger or changes in terms of configuration, well, it's been a dilemma because historically, trying to biopsy this with a needle didn't get an answer. Trying to use a PET scan didn't really give us an answer. So these are two conditions where we brought both technologies together and the patient goes to sleep under one anesthetic. We use the Monarch robotic bronchoscope to actually drive onto the little lesion of concern, and then we inject a dye. The dye is almost a fluorescent green dye. We retract the bronchoscope, we reposition the patient, and then we put in the Da Vinci robot system. Through a few puncture sites, I'm then able to look at the lung. Normally, when I look at the lung, I may not see an obvious abnormality. We change the configuration of the optics, where everything literally turns black and white except for this fluorescent green spot that glows in the dark. And now we can find the area of concern, do a limited resection, send that off immediately to a pathologist right across the hallway, and in 10 minutes I have an answer. And if it's benign, those patients are usually with us overnight, then they go home. If it is a cancer, then we do the appropriate cancer operation through the robot, and those patients usually go home in about two days after surgery. So it really gives us a one-stop shop to go after the, some of the most challenging nodules and ground glass opacifications that otherwise all we could offer was further observation till it got big enough to try to biopsy. So everyone's going to want to have uh, lung cancer removed, uh, but what about safety? Is it safer than the old-fashioned way of that very large incision? Is it safer this new minimally invasive way? The new minimal invasive way has been published and demonstrated higher levels of accuracy, lower complication rates as compared to the traditional way of just putting a needle across the chest. So everybody's going to want that. And then what about recovery? Because you're also doing something new there too. Yeah, uh, traditionally uh, patients came in for surgery. They received a high dose narcotic anesthetic. It would take patients a couple of days just to sort of get their facets back in order and then we would recover the patient. What we found historically in our field of thoracic surgery is we ended up putting those patients on so many narcotic medications that some of those patients got addicted or near addicted to those medications. And of course, there's been an, a national movement 
to try to limit the amount of narcotics available out there for treatment as well as for abuse. So we've implemented a, a, a new process called Enhanced Recovery After Surgery, ERAS, E-R-A-S. Historically, this was designed about a decade ago in Europe, and it was used for orthopedic patients. About five years ago, people in our country began exploring this in thoracic surgery. Last year, a group of 42 members came together, and we took best practices from other institutions and universities for thoracic ERAS, and we implemented it. We went live in December of 2012. What we do now is we take the patient and literally put them into a boot camp for about a week and a half to two weeks. They're on a high-protein, low-diet. They're doing daily exercise, recording it. They're using an incentive spirometer, which is bellows to measure their lung volume, and they're recording it and pushing themselves. I call that the boot camp. When they arrive on day of surgery, we actually begin treating their pain before the operation with non-narcotic agents. The anesthetic is completely different. It's a non-narcotic-based anesthetic. I always tell my patients, you're asleep. You're on some island in the Caribbean from when all this is happening. At the same time frame, we inject the nerves of the inside of the chest during robotic surgery to blunt them for a period of time. And then patients are offered scheduled non-narcotic medications. And if they need, they have additional narcotics needed. What we're finding is my patients arrive on the floor and have a regular diet. That evening, they're walking the hallways. The next morning, the majority of the patients have their drainage tubes removed. If we had a small little resection done, they go home the first day. If I did a lobectomy, they usually go home the second day. When we look further out, the use of narcotics is now patients are dramatically reduced. These patients can get into their quality of life very quickly. We're actually beginning to acquire our research and our hope is to be able to prove that in the inpatient setting, we give less narcotic medications compared to other standards of robotic surgery, even open surgery. But it, there's still no pain. That's so encouraging. Well, we minimize the Minim- discomfort. Well, yeah, we, yeah, we there's should point out. There's always some level of discomfort. But not during surgery. Right. No, okay. not during surgery. They have no pain at all. <laughs> all right. And and so then if you are a candidate for surgery and you have the surgery, are there any non-surgical treatments that you might have to undergo uh, to treat your cancer? Sure. So uh, the treatment of cancer really depends on the stage and the type of the cancer. Um, we always want to find the early stage cancer to offer them a curative surgery so that their treatment plan after surgery is just some follow-up scans and no therapy needed. Uh, We're now entering into different um, era of medicine where there's a lot of new drugs that are uh, addressing these sort of in-between cancers, stage two, stage threes, uh, to really maximize their outcomes. Uh, And that's where you start seeing blended treatments of old technology, new technology, or you see medical oncology working with radiation oncology. And Sarasota Memorial has a a very large program that handles many different aspects Mm -hmm. of this, I mean, including wellness, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have a a wonderful collection of wellness professionals that uh, intervene on sort of the social aspect of lung cancer and also, you know, educate the patients about nutrition and exercise and and alternative therapies that may not move the cancer survival needle, but what they do move is that individual's perspective on their cancer, their perspective on their self, and 
improves their overall well-being. Is there anything patients can do to improve their outcomes? What would you advise? Well, I think what's critical is adequate nutrition, adequate activity. And we, we start that from the first day after surgery for the early stage cancers, and we start that beforehand. So it's important for you to recover. It's important for you to build your protein stores. It's important for you to be active in terms of that. What we'll find is some of these early stage lung cancer patients will actually find some microscopic spread in the lymph nodes. And that is a surprise because usually the testing ahead of time didn't suggest that, but there's always a probability. The value of that is now we've identified that the patient's actually a different stage. And in our teamwork approach, we now have the ability to, in a very quick time frame, implement some type of systemic cancer therapy or combinations of systemic cancer therapy, immunotherapy, maybe even radiation therapy, or otherwise we wouldn't know that. So that, that's the whole value of working as a team. And it's a team approach before, during, and even after mm -hmm. uh, the person has been treated. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the, the importance of knowing where to send the patient to get the best possible outcome, it takes a lot of communication. So, you know, talking to the patient, talking to the other medical professionals, and putting them in the smallest circle possible so that everybody knows what's going on um, is going to lead to better outcomes and better communication amongst team members. Dr. Joe Seaman and Dr. Paul Chomiak, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, time now for today's takeaways. One is that Sarasota Memorial takes a team approach to lung cancer treatment with an army of healthcare professionals. Two is that advances in technology and surgery are paving the way for better outcomes in cancer treatment. And three is that the Sarasota Memorial Cancer Institute has the nation's highest level of accreditation from the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer. And if you'd like more information, just call 941-917-7777. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit smh.com. Follow us on your favorite social media network.